All right, guys, welcome to O'Malley's Gym Podcast. We're on episode number six. Today we've got Mike Pierce, former UFC fighter, um, badass wrestler. Today we're going to talk training methods. We're going to talk nutrition, um, injuries, mental strength, um, all types of good stuff. So stay with us. Okay, let's start with the gym news. Addison Alexander got his pro card. Finally. Finally. After, about time. I don't know how many attempts at nationals but he won overall yeah finally he's been robbed many times yeah um and i say finally because the guys look like a pro for eight years so congrats addison super proud of you love you bro when you see him back at the gym congratulate him he's been he busted ass real hard for this one he's oh, like a yeah. zombie yep <laughs> last three months i gave him a hug tonight <laughs> it was the first time i talked to him in like two months oh was he in there yeah um, any other gym news and gymnast, we ordered two new pieces of arsenal equipment. What'd you get? We got the incline lever row with the, you know, so it's a pad you lay on right. when you reach. But this one's adjustable. The handles move in and out for the pulling. Is it plate loaded? Or and they twist. It's uh, plate loaded. Fuck yeah. And then we got a tricep extension behind the head. Oh, uh, yeah. We've been talking about that for a long time. I'm so glad you got that. Yeah. It's a good machine. I'll put it. Do you use machines? I've used all sorts of things oh. in the training. Oh, okay. Hold on. We should probably introduce our guest today. We got Mike Pierce. Um, as I mentioned earlier, he's a former UFC fighter. Um, glad to have you here. He's Gresham's own. You're from Gresham, right? Yeah. Of course. Okay. Probably high school. <laughs> yeah, Probably high school. Probably yeah. high school. Fuck yeah. That's where I graduated. I only went there for one year, though. I went to Gresham for three years. I was like, I'm sorry. I was a gopher at heart. <laughs> but I ended up transferring to Barlow my senior year. I went um, to Reynolds. Oh, okay. I wrestled... From 90 to 94, uh-huh. and all four years, I got to wrestle Oscar Wood. Oh, okay. I know how that went. So, yeah, I, I didn't win. <laughs> so you were a smaller guy then, back, because Oscar wasn't very big, was he? Yeah, I was tiny. I wrestled 106 freshman year, uh-huh. 115, and then, and it seemed like Oscar traveled right with me. We were like, As he grew up, you guys kind of We grew up together, yeah. Yeah. I think we ended up 130 at one year, our final year. What year did you graduate high school? 94. 94. Yeah, those guys were, were both him and Isaac were completely out by the time I, my freshman year. I was class of 99, so they were out in, at Oregon State or in the Army at that point. Um, you were class of 99? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you were a junior when I was a freshman. Then. Mm-hmm. Got it. I remember watching you in high school, your junior and senior year. Oh, yeah. Those were like, my... Yeah. That's how that, that was probably like, like why I was one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you obviously about MMA, but I was like, dude, I want to talk about high school wrestling because I just remember <laughs> some, yeah, like, we cover all of some them, straight man. domination. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, and um, then I saw you went to Portland State. Yeah, I went to Portland State for a little bit. I I did one year there also. Yeah, I, mine was like a year <laughs> and a half. Like I, the, the program was nice. I liked the people there. As far as on the team, but like the university overall, it just was not the the right fit. I mean, it's largely a adult university where people are finishing degree or coming back to school or the the presence of uh younger kids is kind of not there and the support for the sports non-existent so it just wasn't your typical university let's start from scratch um, because we'll definitely get into college wrestling um what um give us give us kind of the rundown dude give us like how how um how I got into all this stuff? Yeah, man. Like, like, give us, like, I mean, you don't have to tell us the life story, but I mean, I, I assume I, I, that probably a big part of your life story started when you were young wrestling, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I love telling the story about how I got into all this. Yeah. Because it's funny. People laugh about it. 
So I was a big Hulk Hogan fan. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> who wasn't? Right? Hulkamania. Loved pro wrestling. Loved WWF, Ultimate Warrior, all those guys, right? And yeah. so I was a big wrestling fan, and I remember it was, uh, you know, I was always into sports and stuff. Baseball was kind of like my first sport. My dad played baseball. That's what we did, and uh, football as well. And I, I didn't really have interest in these other sports. Not that I was, you know, exposed to a bunch of, them, especially wrestling, but. I remember distinctly towards the end of school, there was this announcement over the intercom uh, about how there was a meeting in the library about wrestling. Of course, my mind <laughs> initially, yeah. this is a WWF thing. Yeah, you can be on, sure. on a wrestling team in a ring. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, I'm going there to learn how to do leg drops, yeah. and <laughs> and some crazy shit. And so I go there, and you know, the, the teacher explains what it's all about and he gives us this handout. And I'm like, okay, it still seemed kind of cool. So I brought the, brought it home to my parents, told my dad, I was like, what do you think about it if I did this wrestling stuff? So he's like, you know, son, you can do whatever you want to support you, you know, just try, if you don't like it, you can always, you know, do something else, quit, you know, find another sport. So I was like, okay. So I gave it a shot. And literally the only thing I knew was like a, a tackle. And he's like, well, tackle it, and it, in wrestling, we call that a double. I was yeah. like, okay. So it was literally the only thing I knew. Right. So that's kind of how I got started with wrestling. How old were you? I was 12. 12. Oh, okay. 12 years old. So you're in seventh grade? I was in sixth grade. Sixth my birthday was September 1st, so I'm like right at the cutoff. So instead of being the youngest kid in the class, my parents waited to, to put me in. Right. And so I was one of the older kids in the class. Um, but yeah, I it started at 12 years old, sixth grade. Uh, got pinned like within 30 seconds of my first match. <laughs> and of course, you know, this is middle school where you got sixth graders, seventh graders, and eighth graders all wrestling together. And of course, sure. uh, where I was at, I wrestled as eighth grader right off the bat. Did you wrestle at Damascus? Uh, that was at Orient. That's okay. where I went to middle school. Right. But uh, I remember my first meet was against this guy from, uh, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, I'm forgetting the middle school. It's right there by Barlow. It, it'll come. It, oh, it Gordon is, Russell. Gordon Russell. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Gordon Russell. And the guy, like I said, just kicked my ass. Dude, can you can you imagine what this dude probably feels like? Like if he probably, I wonder if he remembers like who he was like wrestling, or if he's like that guy. If he could look, look back and be like, right now, yeah. No, I mean, I, I got up so mad too, and I was like, I swore, I was like, I can't let this happen again. Like I cannot let this happen for the whole season. You know, I was just all angry with myself, and so you know, I, I ended up training and doing the things that kids do to try and get better i mean i didn't know a lot about wrestling so i just i kept working on the things that the coach was telling me to work on and we ended up having a three-way tie for the first place winner at districts and that was kind of like the highlight of the year for sure yeah and then you know it, seventh grade was much like my uh sixth grade year just doing that again and then it wasn't, wasn't until school tournaments like a round robin type of Oh no, that was the centennial tournament. I remember that. Okay, there was like I remember there was a tournament that we did in middle school. I think it was the centennial. Was it the takedown tournament? No, there was another. There was another tournament that we always did like in the middle of the year, and it was like a round robin tournament. It was kind of like a preview. You kind of like got to see who you were gonna like wrestle at districts, and then there was it was an actual yeah, yeah. tournament. Yeah, I don't remember that one, but it wasn't until my eighth grade year when I, I finally decided that's when I quit baseball. And devastated my dad. Like, all three of us boys right. just quit baseball at the same time. And he was kind of, like, deflated because that was his love, you know. But right. understandable. He, he supported us in what we wanted to do. And I was really passionate about wrestling. And uh, that's when he took us to or took me to Peninsula Wrestling Club, which is there in North Portland. That's where it goes down right Long there. history of producing great wrestlers there. Right. Um, and, you know, he, he was going to take me to a variety of different clubs to kind of see where the right fit was. But I knew, like, immediately. Like, it was like... This is the place. I don't care about going anywhere else. I want to. I want to wrestle here at Peninsula, 
And uh, man, that eighth grade year, I just started taking off because of course you're doing, you know, your after school wrestling program and then you're coming home and then you're going to the clubs. So you're getting twice the practice, right. twice the training. And of course the, more, right? and it's your, I mean, virtually, right? Yeah. The wrestling season lasts about nine months. You got your collegiate season and there's freestyle and Greco and that'll go up till about June. Right. To the very end. Um, but yeah, man, Peninsula is kind of like where it was all at for, for me. Sure. I mean, you so got, that was the difference. Like that was the difference. When you, when, you, when you look at like high school, that's, that was something that I always noticed because I, I wrestled in high school and I always noticed that the guys that were, that were, that were wrestling on the final day at the Coliseum, those were the guys that were, yeah, you know, I mean, that was the guys that were, were putting in work year round, guys that were, that were taking it real serious. And were exactly. And I mean, I don't think you, a lot of them, like a lot of these guys started when they were, Five years old, you know, yeah, and Cobra and Pit Pit and stuff. Yeah, and there and there's some degree of that where I'm not sure I would do with my own kids, just the fact that like I saw so many of those guys that started when they were five burn out because they right. lost the excitement, and the fun with it, right? And so it became more of a chore or an expectation, right? And then they just kind of like, okay, I'm done with it, right? You know, so I'd rather let kids be kids, and I mean, let everyone's different. Let them decide, let them decide where they want to go with it, but uh, yeah, man, Peninsula. Doing doing two a days and and training with some of the best guys around. Right. Uh, seasonal wrestlers, I I'd, I'd say it'd be pretty rare for them to kind of reach that upper skill level sure. <laughs> just by doing one practice a day. Yeah. And of course, I mean, you would have to have some really amazing coaches to to produce a wrestler that would be like a a club wrestler. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I learned most of my wrestling. I said the, the bulk of my wrestling from from Peninsula and I, this program. Like I said, it's produced so many guys. I mean, uh, somebody that your viewers probably know is Chael Sonnen. Right, he was yeah. four years ahead of me in the program. Phenomenal wrestler. Yeah, so you, you know Chael, right? Um, and, there, and there's just been countless guys that, you know, maybe they didn't transition to MMA, but they continued on with their wrestling career and, you know, done exceptionally well. So, I mean. Yeah, that's, that's something that um, I feel like always, it translates in any sport really when, um, I mean, in the sports that we do too, like it's always the guys that are doing the extras. Did you know this one, Les Gutches? Did you know him? Mm -hmm. He won his pro card in bodybuilding. That's did he really? I did hear. I saw that he was doing the bodybuilding stuff on Instagram or Facebook. That's I could, right. Yeah. He went and did masters. That's right. He looked actually damn good. I was, Imagine, dude. And he wrestled at Barlow, right? No, he didn't wrestle at Barlow. He wrestled at Oregon State. Oregon State. Yeah, he wrestled at Oregon State. I don't know where he went to high school. I, I can't remember. Kind of popped up there. He's from Oregon. Right? <laughs> oh yeah, he's, he's from Oregon. From, yeah, he was. He was like my years also. I remember hearing about that, but I never remembered hearing how he did. He won his pro he card. He won his pro card in body. That's body. crazy. What yeah. what show was that? In, uh, I think he did it at Masters. Masters Nationals. Masters Nationals. Yeah, crazy. he was he, he was a freak back in his college like days. Right. And, and even after that. Yeah, he, he was like the man when I was in, in wrestling him oh, and Oscar yeah. Wood and then and then this, I had my own sport bodybuilding and then mm -hmm see him enter it way later than I did and then go get his pro card. I was like, God damn, some people just <laughs> fucking got it. <laughs> it's, it's up top. You know? Yeah. Yeah, he, he had an amazing workout. I mean, remember when I did my visit to uh, Oregon State, he, he was already gone after that, but I mean, still he was working or wrestling on the international scene and, and beating some tough guys. There was a guy named Kevin Jackson who was a, the previous Olympic gold medalist and he, I actually watched that match in Las Vegas at the uh, convention center and he beat him and of course, that was a pretty big deal, you know, especially for uh, the Oregon State program. And God, they would just tell me stories about what a 
work ethic that guy had. And right. there's some people talking about like the guy was like always training and lifting weights and like his bone density was crazy and off the charts right. <laughs> stuff about him. But yeah, I mean, some people just have that ability to you know just do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. You know, whether it's wrestling or yeah, you see guys like get into um, get into MMA like when the NFL didn't work out for him. You hear like stories like that. You know, yeah. Like, like um, I remember there was one season of Ultimate Fighter where there was like, I think it was the um, one with like Matt Mitrion. Oh yeah. Like, because he was an NFL football player, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, there was another big black dude that was on. Yeah, I'm forgetting his name. Like, I don't know who you're talking about. It was like, dude, that that season just had like all this like these like crazy athletes from different sports, and then like Kimbo was on it. And, yeah. yeah, big country. Design. It was like a, it was a weird season. Right. Yeah. But it was well, I think especially like at the bigger weights, like heavyweight. <clears throat> right. In fighting and like the competitor, the, the combative sports, like if you get like a big athletic guy, like some of the guys in the NFL, they're they're big, they're explosive. Super quick, yeah. That can pay a lot of dividends in MMA. Right. You know, I mean, you take a, a look at someone like Brock Lesnar, who I I watched my true freshman year, so at Portland State when I was wrestling there, they didn't register me. I wrestled right away. And I remember Portland State dueling Minnesota at Minnesota. This was his senior year, and he won the national title. And he just freaking mopped the mat with our our heavyweight. It was right. bad, but I was just like, I was looking at that guy, going, "Man, that that that's the biggest human being I think I've ever just seen." Yeah, he was just six foot three, and just like, I mean, he was every bit of two seventy five in that weight class. He probably had to cut weight to make two seventy five. Sure. There's not a lot of heavyweights in the college world that like, have to cut. That are that built, or yeah, that explosive. I mean, I mean, like maybe grown men who've been like juicing for years, but not. Yeah, like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he wasn't all natural. <laughs> that's true. Pretty sure. <laughs> but like, even for like a, what was like 22 at the time. I mean, that's yeah, like, that's guy. not very common for a 22. No, and then big. to to make that transition to the MMA world, where there's not that many big guys that have that kind of explosiveness and strength right. and power. Right. It was easy for him to walk in there and just take on just the best be talent at the time and right. just walk through them. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not like he was some, like, movie star. I mean, the dude was a fucking, like, national He had legitimate wrestler. talent. He, I mean, he was yeah, a visual and all-air, national champion. That also translated into mixed martial arts really well, obviously. Gave him a big advantage, sure. Right, for sure. That, um, that, that story that dude Brock Lesnar, it was funny because when I, our wrestling coach had this poster of like I want to say it was like four or five dudes holding their national championships from Minnesota, mm-hmm. and they were all standing. Then there was just this one big jack dude standing in the snow. It was a dope poster, uh-huh. and um, come find out, like it was at the time he was in the WWE, like he'd already passed right. like college, and um, somebody was like, "Oh, dude, that's Brock Lesnar from WWE," and we're like, "What?" And then yeah, it was like <laughs> then he evolved into something much bigger than just yeah. It, it was funny, man. When he won his national tournament, uh, it was in St. Louis that year. I remember thinking, I was like, God, if that guy ever got an MMA, he would really make some waves. And then, you know, he would, he made his announcement that he was going to the WWE and pursuing mm-hmm. that, which probably smarter. He made a lot of money yeah, in that, yeah. got a lot of fame, and then moved over and dabbled in MMA for a while, won a championship. And, right. And then he went back and probably made even more money. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, he did play his cards, right? Yeah, sure. no, he, he did. It, it was just kind of funny that I was thinking, even back then, that, right. man, that guy, if he jumped into MMA, he could, he could scare some people. Right. <laughs> So when you were done with um, high school wrestling, so you won state twice. I won state twice in collegiate freestyle and Greco. So my junior senior year, altogether six times state champ. Won the regional tournament both years in freestyle and Greco, two time All American in Greco. Um, and then I made my choice to go to Portland State. I had options to go to all three universities when they all had programs mm-hmm. that they don't all have programs anymore. 
Who does uh, that program? Oh, uh, Oregon State's the only one that has a program left. Uvo, Uvo cut theirs. Portland State cut theirs. Really? Long time ago. I didn't even know that. That's yeah, crazy. yeah. Portland State, when I went there, I mean, for the longest time, was kind of a unique program in the right. sense that they were a Division One AA right. school. So most of their sports were in the Big Sky. Right. And Portland State wrestling was in the Pac-10 right. because we funded our own program. Right. And so they they, they kind of had trouble axing the program because we weren't taking school resources, what school did, what money. Did you funding your own program? Like, what did you like we made program? our own funds. So the scholarships that were given out uh-huh. were generated. The funds were generated <laughs> by the wrestling program and, and alumni. Huh. And so it was hard for the school to say, okay, well you're taking up this much of the budget. We're right. going to cut yeah. your program. Right. So they're kind of like, well you're just giving us money and students. Right. <laughs> so it was hard for them to cut the program for a while. Huh. Um, it wasn't until after Marlon Grant, who was the, who was the head coach there, had quit. I remember speaking um, to him when I was looking. Yeah, there was there was a couple seasons after him. A guy named Mike Haluska had, had taken the reins, and it, it wasn't long lived after that. That Marlon Gronk guy was there for a lot of years. Long time, long yeah. time. Yeah, he he was the one. I mean, back in the day when they had won some national championships when they were the you know, smaller school back then, um, he was their coach back then, so he'd been mm-hmm. for, for quite a while. Wow. That's how I got that his wife Pam Gronk was. My PE teacher at Reynolds. Oh, okay, all right. And she told me a small world. The, the, yeah. The, the, PSU program, it wasn't the good division when I was going there. And then right. she's like, oh, go talk to my husband. And, mm-hmm. and it was that year that I went, they switched. And it was, they already had, they hadn't given out scholarships. So we sucked. It was like, yeah, it was a bunch of guys who shouldn't be wrestling in the Pac-10. We just got destroyed. Oh, that's <laughs> Yeah, the wrestling scholarships, man, they, they only give out 9.9 scholarships. I, I don't know if that's changed since I was wrestling but there were at the time only 10 weight classes so you can't exactly give out nine full rides and a 90 percent scholarship you wouldn't have any training partners so wrestling it was always a lot of partial scholarships and stuff and portland state had offered me the most because i really didn't want to have to work a ton have a a school load and wrestling practice i mean that just seemed like a lot so i was trying to figure out a way to make it a little bit easier and have a little bit more success but i mean had I done it, had I been able to choose again, I don't know that I would have picked Portland State because I was a little too naive and understanding that it wasn't that much of a kid-type university and it just wasn't the best fit for yeah. me. But, you know, things led me to where I am now and don't regret it. So, so how, how long did you wrestle at PSU then? I only wrestled competitively there one year, my true freshman year, and then I was going to redshirt in my following year, and I was just like pretty much done after that. I, what, I, what made you decide that you were just over? I was kind of done with wrestling. I was a little burned out with wrestling and the university for that matter like I didn't I didn't like a lot of the people there yeah. <laughs> I didn't get along with them yeah. um, and I just I, I was just kind of down with it over with that at that point and I really wanted to do something else and that's kind of like where my desire to give MMA a real try mm-hmm. jumped in because before when I was still in high school I was watching guys like Randy Couture and Matt Lindland and Dan Henderson they were all local for right. that, that period of time uh, and they were Doing this thing, MMA, it was a brand new sport, and wrestlers were starting to do really well on it. Team Quest. Team Quest, exactly. <laughs> they put them on the map. Yeah. And, yeah, they put us on the map. And I always thought that wrestlers were pretty badass people, you know, and I, I never really thought about this mixed martial arts thing, about where you get to mix all these things and how wrestling would play into that. I just knew wrestlers are tough, and if we got into a fight, I think we'd do pretty well. Right. You know? <laughs> 
But this thing really put it to the test, like, what style is the best? Right. Come find out everyone's fucking wrong. Right. <laughs> you know? You can't just be a one-dimensional no. fighter. I mean, ultimately, that's what it boiled down to. You have to be well-rounded. Right. And wherever you have a, a chink in your arm where people are going to find and exploit it, so you have to be well-rounded. Right. You know? Come find out years later. But back then, I was watching the sport kind of develop and watching these wrestlers, guys that I looked up to, you know, as I was coming up wrestling, doing well in this new sport, and they were getting paid for it. Yeah. I was like, this is super cool. Because in wrestling, I mean, let's say you win uh, a medal, even if it's a bronze medal. Maybe you get some promotional stuff. Wrestling's not a super loved sport. You're not going to make a living on it. Even if you get a coaching career somewhere, like in Minnesota, one of the bigger schools in Iowa, something like that. It's a mediocre living. It's a mediocre living. I mean, you can't really, you know, take it to the next level. And so I I saw it as like a potential opportunity to build on a skill set I've developed over a number of years and expand on that and make something of it. Right. And so it was super cool. I was like, man, that, you know, someday I want to give that sport a try and see how, how I do. I've never been in a fight in my life. Really? Yeah, seriously. The only fights I've ever been into, I've never been into a schoolyard fight, on the street, none of that stuff. I, literally my first fight, first time I ever punched anyone, was inside of a cave. <laughs> Damn, that was a freaky moment. Bet, oh dude, my what God. was that like, dude? Like your, your first, like, so yeah. You just, it was a little nerve-wracking. So I, I mean, you've been hit in the face in training, like after that. Like, you've been, like headbutts and stuff. Like I mean, incidental stuff. It wasn't like, we're going in here with intent to throw hands at each other, and I'm going to hurt you. Like, like even in sparring and training up to that. Well, point. in sparring and stuff, sure, but that's a different story, right? I you seen know? some people pretty fucking hard. No, no, I, I, I trust me. <laughs> Team Quest has a reputation, especially the yeah. earlier days. Yeah, they. Yeah. I mean, you weren't sparring; you were fighting. It was yeah. controlled fighting, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, my first fight, I was 26. It was at the Roseland Theater. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which number FCFF it was, but yeah. that's, that was the promotion. Um, and I had had hundreds and hundreds of wrestling matches, and so I prepared just like it was a wrestling match. I wasn't worried about the crowd. I'd been in front of thousands of people at national tournaments, regional tournaments. wasn't worried about the crowd. I didn't give two shits about that. A lot of people let that get to their mind. Mm-hmm. I didn't care. When I was thinking it's just me and the other guy, just like any other wrestling match. And I get in there, and this guy was 3-0 and at the time. He's from Roseburg. Tough kid. He, he was a judo Guy had a background in judo, also did jiu-jitsu and, and some Thai boxing and stuff, so he, he, he knew some stuff. I was still largely a wrestler, but doors closed, bell rang, he comes winging a head kick at me, and I was like, this is not like wrestling, <laughs> so I'm freaking out, so I just kind of go into autopilot, I'm like, I know wrestling, and so he does like this half-ass knee at me, and I block it, and just going right for a double, and he, oh, I give him some air time. <laughs> he, it was beautiful. Like he was so high up in the air and just landed straight on his back. Yeah, you can't even get in trouble. Like, no, and it was beautiful. Like, you're like, dude, this is awesome. I can really drop well, him. I was like, like, okay, so I took him down and I started scooting him right over to the fence. We weren't far away. And I posture up and like, seriously, as hard as I could, right hand, right down the center, it lands. And I was just like, I kind of paused for a second. I thought to myself, that's fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can't even get in trouble for this. Yeah. Like, this is sweet. So I got excited. I got like this adrenaline rush. Like, cool. So I just started hitting them more. And I ended up winning the fight. It went all three rounds. I didn't get a submission. I mean, I controlled it on the ground. He wasn't able to hit me with anything. Of a, I mean, he, he did hit me once and kind of gave me a minor cut. That was really the only significant strike he had. But the rest of the time was me just doing ground and pound and control in the, the ground right. game. But 
Yeah, it was it was an adrenaline rush and a nice experience. My parents came to watch me and everything. My mom's freaking out, crying. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was all excited. I was like, "So you guys are gonna come to my next one?" I was like, "No, it was scary. That was like, oh, horrible. <laughs> it was horrible." Yeah. She watched me wrestle my whole oh, my yeah. whole life, you know. So that was one thing. But getting punches and kicks and That's knees thrown at me, oh, she oh, was yeah. yeah. Blood, Even yeah. my dad was a little like, I don't know, but he, <laughs> they got a little more used to it as, as obviously as my career went on. But that, that was my first experience getting into any kind of fight. Right. And still being largely one-dimensional. I I think I might have still been fighting at Southpaw at that point because I was so used to my wrestling stance that right. I was like, I can't give that up. I got to fight Southpaw, which is if you're a right-hander in wrestling, you would you normally stand in a Southpaw stance. But when you're fighting, so Southpaw would be with your right leg forward. Really? Yeah. That's funny because, like, whenever I've done any type of boxing and wrestling, my stance is the same. Really? Yeah, like my left hand's forward. Yeah, not for me, man. Like, but and it's pretty standard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, wrestlers that are right-handed generally lead with their right leg for whatever reason, just because your right hand's closer. Right. To grab legs and I guess that's true. Headlocks and ties and all that stuff. But yeah, it was kind of a, a weird. Tra- I mean, the whole stand-up thing to me was completely foreign because I was never trained with that, never experienced any of that. Fortunately, I had some really good coaches that you know, kind of eased me into it, taught me the way. And it, it took a while for me to, to not be that spaz in the gym that was right. like just the herky-jerky, do everything hard. Right. I, I had to learn. I had to learn to relax and kind of chill out. Right. Because it was, it seemed like, God, I'm getting extra tired and I don't know why. And I was like, I know wrestling's way harder than boxing, but I was just so tense and yeah. so, yeah, eager to do stuff. I just, I, I forgot just to relax and yeah. let things flow. So that took a little while. There's a little bit of learning curve there and, and getting used to punching people, which was never anything I did. So that was kind of a, it took some time to get used to. But So how much so time fun. did you have like learning stand-up and any type of jiu-jitsu and stuff before you took your first fight? Gosh, I think I might have been training a, probably almost a year at Team Quest before I took my first fight. I wanted to make sure that I was prepared. I didn't want to be some of these guys that I'd I mean, I'd seen a handful of, you know, FCFF shows. I'd seen a lot of UFCs up to that point. And I told myself if I was going to get involved with this, I wasn't, just like my wrestling career, I wasn't going to do this half-ass. I was right. going to I was going to do it. You were going to do it. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to make sure I'm prepared. I know it's an amateur fight, so the rest of these guys are going to have, you know, some training, maybe not the best, but they're going to have, you know, some training from around the area. And so... Me training at Quest, I thought I was getting some of the best training that I could in the area. And I just, I, I wanted to put the time in to be able to know what I'm doing or have some knowledge of how to do things in, in whatever right. position I may be in. Right. And so it took a little time and finally I was like, okay, you know, I think I'm ready. I'm still learning, but right. so are these other guys. And right. so I was like, let's give it a shot. Yeah, I was 26. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let's give it a shot. Yeah. And so uh, Chris Wilson was the guy that ended up making the fight and, he, he'd always joke, like at Team Quest, there was always this inside joke about, man, we love those self-tra- self-taught, self-trained street fighters and oh, yeah. <laughs> the Taekwondo people, because those are the really fun ones, because yeah. they don't know what the hell they're doing. Place, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's probably not a lot of those anymore, because they've kind of weeded themselves out. Right. But he didn't want to put me with one of those guys. He, he knew that I was Kidding. looking to compete right. and looking to do something. So that's why he put me with a guy that was already 3-0, right. and I was 0-0, which, I mean, typically... They, match somebody with similar right. experience. But I had a, a wealth of competitive background with the wrestling and everything. So right. they, they, they knew. They, they, yeah, Chris, Chris knew. But 
Yeah, that was my first fight. I had a dude off the street like you were a dude with state champion wrestling. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Yeah, it didn't take long for those guys to like. Okay, we need to keep an eye on that dude. Yeah. What What do you think? Um, as far as um, the importance of these, so him like picking your fighters, like like who like how, what do you think of the importance of your coach like getting you the right fights or your manager or whoever that person is that's that's like picking these people out for you? Well, I think I mean obviously it's super impo- important. It's not like wrestling or, or 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 some of these other sports where you have like a bracket or you're just you know told okay it's this school versus this school and that's who you happen to be matched up with. This right. is this is a lot different. Right. It follows more like boxing, right? So selecting who you're going to fight, if you're taking it serious and really want to do something, I mean, matchmaking is important. You don't want somebody who you're just going to walk through. I mean, padding records is kind of pointless in my, in my well, yeah, it's point not of view. Closer I, to the, the yeah, it's not going to make you a better fighter. It's not going to really get you any closer to your goal. So finding someone who's going to compete with you and it's going to be close and it's about the same skill level is, I think, what you should do. You need it, right? Yeah, you need yeah. that. You need to be able to test yourself and get better. We're, we're like in wrestling. If um, you know, like this kid over here is going to wrestle a guy like you, and this kid isn't really that good, like, yeah, man, go wrestle him. Like, you're probably gonna get your ass kicked, but like, you know, it's good for you. Like, to, like, but, like in a fight, like, yeah, like get that in training. Yeah, not, yeah, not, yeah, like in a yeah, fucking no, fight, dude. Like, no, like this, this guy could like probably potentially affect the rest of your life if it goes back. Right, yeah. So, I mean, like, and, and that's just the, the brass tacks of it. I mean, you want to get your ass kicked in training. Right. <laughs> you want to get better in right. training. Well, like, I think, oh, I mean, I mean, what do you think, like, the mental part of it? Like, you, you hear some of these fighters that, you know, good record, good record, things are going really well, and then they just have, like, a really bad experience in the ring, and then they just kind of, like, aren't the same. Like, do you think that that's a thing, or do you think that people... Just, I, I think it is. I mean, obviously... Like, it was like, like, people were saying that about, like, Rousey. Ronda Rousey. Like, you, you, you think <laughs> Don't that, get me started with her. Do you think that was? Don't get me started. No. Okay. Or somebody. Somebody like. No, it, it, it's fine. I think that's a good example actually right. because I think that she ended up buying a lot of the hype that the UFC was putting behind her. Right. And I don't think she quite saw the bigger picture with her skill set and where she lacked. Right. She was really good on the ground, arm bars anytime she wanted once it was it was on the ground. Right. But Holly Holm showed that. You need a stand-up game, too. Yeah, you, you can't just come in <laughs> without any head movement, throwing punches like a beginner. Right. I mean, Rousey has some of the worst. I mean, you, it, it's atrocious to see. Like, anybody who's a boxer mm. <laughs> that watches her videos, especially, like, her warm-up stuff before the fight, they have these little, like, warm-up sessions. Right. And she's throwing punches, like, rotating like this. Why you would throw a punch? I mean, you just rotate like this. Boom. But she's, like, over-rotating like this, throwing these punches like this. Like, there's no rotation of the hip. It's just like arm punches. Yeah, that's weird. It's obnoxious. It's it's poor technique. I blame her coach partly for that too, giving her a false sense of her own skill set. Right. Um, not yeah, that she wasn't a, skilled, and I'm not saying she wasn't a good fighter in her own right. <clears throat> it's just she wasn't a, a, a very well-rounded fighter, and right. it wasn't long before she was forced to fight some of these women that were more well-rounded, right. and they exposed the shit out of her. Holly Holm took her fucking head off. Was that was Easily. that like an example of somebody maybe? progressing her at a rate that maybe she wasn't really yes and no i mean the women's division at that point wasn't very deep i mean even right now it's i i would say it's it's i mean i don't know that it'll ever be as deep talent wise as the men's pool just because it it's not as popular i mean fighting just isn't as popular with women as it is with men right that'll probably always be the case right. it's, it's nothing to think twice about i guess but um back then there weren't there was the depth of the, the talent there wasn't that big right and so 
I, I can see it both ways where she maybe got a false sense of herself and, the, you know, she kind of got a head on her and thought that she didn't really need to learn anymore. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Without being, like, on the inside of her camp, on the inside of her head, you can only really speculate. Right. But I, I, I think that her coach didn't do her any favors by correcting some of the obvious mistakes that mm -hmm. she was making. Um, I think once she got her head taken off by Holly Holm, she started to awaken right. <laughs> to this reality. It was forced to be. Right. Um, she already made a lot of money at that point. So, I mean, she went over to the WWE as well, started making probably a lot of money. Probably just said, even more <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I mean, she's not getting her head taken off, like, right. probably less damage to the body. Right. You know? Do you, do you think that, like, having that loss... One, like a loss like that could psychologically like change somebody like to where they're like eh, maybe I don't want to do this. I think it did psychologically change her. I think it, yeah. it opened her eyes to the the reality of where she stood in the women's division <laughs> and her skill set and the pedestal that the UFC put her on. Mm -hmm. What wasn't where she was at in reality. Right. I mean, she's a good fighter, but she wasn't that well rounded right. compared to some of the other women in the division. I mean, you look now like. You take an Amanda Nunes, and what do you think she would do to Ronda Rousey, even at her peak? Mm -hmm. She would destroy her within the first minute. Right. It would be bad. Right. And so, I, I don't know. I mean, I think Rousey had her place at, at that particular time, but I think once she lost, it was very odd. It became very abundantly clear that where like she a, stood in the like division and where her skill set was at. Like a new era was starting. Like, okay, oh, absolutely. fucking for real. Like, these yeah. girls are... Yeah, and I think, I mean, another one, not probably doesn't have as much notoriety, it was uh, Gina Carano. Yeah, I remember her. Same thing. I mean, she's... Beautiful a, girl. Beautiful girl. Yeah. Great talent on the stand-up. Not that well-rounded overall as far as MMA. Got smashed by, I think, Cyborg the yeah, beater. I mean, Cyborg's, I mean, one of the best MMA fighters in the women's right. division, period. But, yeah. I mean... She kind of realized the same, same thing, like, okay, you know what? I'm going to go be a movie star. <laughs> this, <laughs> this, acting, TV. Yeah, this acting gig's going to work out. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and she's on the Greener Pastures now anyway. Yeah. She's in The Mandalorian now. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah she, she's doing good. But, yeah, I mean, taking a loss like that can definitely affect you mentally. I mean, right. it, I think it takes a special person to get beat a certain way and then take a step back and evaluate and come back stronger. You know, and, I, and people have to do that. I mean, you, yeah, you, see you, you, you can, like Chael said, I mean, you, the, the path to failure and giving up is always there. Oh, yeah. It's the easiest path to take. Oh, sure. <laughs> it's the people that sit back and go, okay, that this is what I did wrong, and now I need to make some, some adjustments and changes and, and get better. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think that plays out into big, big, any Every sport. sport yeah. Any sport, yeah. right? Yep. So yeah, you see it everywhere. I mean, you, you see it in... All professionals. Yeah, but there's there's a degree of mental toughness that you need to have in that sport right. to get by. So you started at the Rosalind. How did you work your way into the UFC after that? Yeah, so I had five amateur fights. Um, the bulk of them were at the SCFF. I had uh, another one at uh, the Milwaukee Elks Lodge, which is actually where I ended up meeting my wife. I remember there were other fights there. Yeah. yeah. You met her at your fight. I met her there, yeah. It was oh, the first really? time I really nice on her was at the Milwaukee Elks Lodge. That's funny. Yeah, and her, uh, her stepfather at the time was the one putting on the promotions, ironically enough. Um, but yeah, I did my five pro fights, and I was like, I, I didn't see a reason to continue doing the amateur fights and not get paid for it, and I was progressing at a good rate. I was like, screw it, I'll go pro. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I had my first pro fight, and it was a guy against a guy named Nick Gilardi, who you may or may not know. He's, uh, he's been a local fighter, too, for a long time. Uh, he coaches now at Impact Jiu-Jitsu. 
a wrestling background too, and I was excited because the big distinction between pros and amateurs is you can do elbows to oh, the head. Right. And uh, I was all excited. I was like, man, man, as soon as I get on the ground, I'm just throwing <laughs> elbows like <laughs> crazy. And, uh, you know, I ended up taking them down and just started going to town and cutting them over both eyes and ended up winning the fight uh, because of a doctor stoppage because he's bleeding. Uh, and, you know, we're still buddies. I don't have any ill will towards the guy. And uh, that happens a lot of times. Like, yeah, people think, oh, my God, you fought him. You must hate him. I was like, no, no, no. it's not really like that. It's just no, done and over with. You know? sport, yeah. I wish more people would get in fights. These arguments and drama would be done and over with, right? right? Um, but, yeah, I had uh, my first pro fight with him. And then I just I, I had an opportunity, or, or so I thought to fight in California. It was like super last minute. I, I was still working construction at this point. Uh, I was actually working on the OHSU tram. There's the upper station there. Uh, and I got the phone call like, hey, do you want to fight in three days at this gladiator challenge in California? I'm like, uh, I don't know. It was good money. And it was, it was fair money for the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't have to cut weight because we were fighting at, uh, what was it? 215. Yeah, it was 215. I think it was. What weight did you fight? Or no, it was 205. It was 205. What did you fight at normally? 170. Oh, okay. Oh, so you're like, <laughs> you're fucking, yeah. over your weight. In the oh, well over my weight. I didn't cut any weight. I, I don't even, maybe I weighed 190 at most. And fighting 205. And the guy that I ended up fighting was Mark Munoz. Oh. Who, I knew who he was. Yeah. Two-time All-American from Oklahoma. Like, I think he was national champ, too. Mm -hmm. He was legit. And he was cutting down from heavyweight. Because I'd seen on uh, Sure Dog that he, That's he'd, a big boy. he'd fought heavyweight like a month before. And so he was making his way down. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so we get there. And I weigh in, no problem. And then he's kind of struggling a little bit. And he was he was kind of asking, like, do I have to cut the weight to make weight? I'm like, yeah, I'm taking this <laughs> taking this fight on, like, all, no, no notice. Right. <laughs> you know, a couple days. Probably eating cheeseburgers. Yeah, <laughs> like, you, you're making the weight. And so he makes the weight and everything. And he was my first really tough fight. I mean, he's no-joke wrestler. And... Uh, you know, we, we had some good back and forth, but, like, in that first round, I, I had his number. I took him down right, like, picked him up, slammed him. He gave me his back, and I belly to back him. And he he's a legit wrestler. Yeah. And he had he was coaching a, a college team at the time, and a lot of his wrestlers were there. And they're like, who the hell is this guy right. from Oregon? Right. <laughs> and so it was kind of funny. And me and Mark still talk. I mean, he's, a, he's a good dude. But, I mean, just, just explains. Oh, he ended up winning a decision. It right. went all three rounds. He won the decision. I kind of feel like I won the fight, and and I don't say that half-heartedly because I had two California commissioners mm -hmm. come up to me after the fight, and they're both like, you know, we're not supposed to say this, but he got hosed on that one. Yeah. Because he was fighting at the time with Uriah Faber at his right. gym, which was literally right down the road. This is in Sacramento. Right. And it was a local show. He's the local guy right. fighting somebody from Oregon. But you would have had to overly win that. I, I would have had to knock him out or something. Yeah. You know. There's politics in UFC, too. Oh, there's politics in every <laughs> sport, man. It's nuts, right? Yeah, we get a lot of that money. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't doubt. I mean, it sounds like with the pro card stuff. Yeah, especially with something that's subjective. Like, yeah. I mean, like a lot of times you guys... Are I mean, it can be cut and dry in the UFC. Absolutely. There's nothing anyone can do yeah, about it. Sometimes but if you leave it to the judges, judges that's, absolutely. Where that shit, that's where that shit comes into play. Absolutely. That's why he's got to go and knock him out. Right? Yeah, so... <laughs> So, I mean, again, it, it kind of works a lot like boxing, where you have, like, a local scene, a regional scene, and then there's the big stage, right? And so I, I can't even remember how many fights deep I was in on the, on the regional scene, but I remember the fight that got me noticed. I was fighting a guy uh, named Paul Bradley, who was a two-time All-American from Iowa. 
stud wrestler. He was actually on the Ultimate Fighter show briefly. He made it into the house, but he had um, had some skin funk. I think it was herpes that he had on his face, and it's stress-induced. And so the doctors looked at him and everything, and they, they kind of basically advised that he not fight in-house because under that kind of stress, it may reoccur, there could be infection, it could spread, blah, 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 blah. So high probability that he would have won that, that season, but he ended up getting booed and removed from the house. And so I ended up fighting him uh, in Philadelphia. And I was, of course, the guy that they were just throwing to him because he, he was a hot prospect to get into the UFC. You were fought in Philadelphia, like at the... Uh like the finale or something? Or? No, 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 no. This is outside the UFC. Oh, this okay. is before I got into the UFC. Him and I fought. Oh, okay. Because he was a hot prospect about to get into the UFC. Oh, they were looking to because he was already already made it into the into the show. Oh, okay. And so they were on to him. They they knew yeah. that he was a talented fighter. And so uh, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I mean, at that point, I was already kind of I'd already kind of broken away from the gym that I was at at, at the time. <laughs> and he called me back and said, "Hey, I have this opportunity. Do you want to fight?" I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm fighting with or without you. One of the, <laughs> you know, with or without you. And uh, there ended up being a breakdown. And he, I, I just said, okay, I'm done with that, that guy. And so I ended up having my two foremen that I had at the time. One was a Taekwondo black belt. And the other guy had never done any kind of martial arts in his life. Those were my corners <laughs> that I brought with me. This is no joke. You're like, fuck it. As long as I got some people. I was like, I'm not, I'm not letting this opportunity buy me because I knew it was a stake. Right. right. And so I had a Taekwondo black belt and a guy that just did sheetrock and, and, and drywall framing That's so funny. <laughs> in my corner. On this big, on <laughs> on the this biggest big, fight of your life. On the biggest fight of my life. Yeah. And I go out there and I freaking fight my ass off and I ended up winning the fight. It was a tough fight. I won a unanimous decision and I was so excited with myself and happy. I was like, God, it, it was like, God, it paid off, you know? Right. And the promoter came up to me after the fight and he's all like, he starts shaking his head. He's like, you got to know, you were brought in here to get your ass kicked. Yeah. <laughs> and I started laughing. I was like, oh, I know. Yeah. And he's like, man, more power to you. That, that was an awesome fight. Thank that's, you. That's how you, that. So yeah. you were working a 40-hour-a-week construction job. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Kicking ass. And this is not easy. If you've ever done, I, I was in what they call an exterior interior specialist in the union. So we were doing the yeah, steel stud framing, the drywall, the interior exterior stuff. Yeah, it, it was not easy work. And, of course, since I was the apprentice, I was doing all the moving of the yeah. steel studs, the drywall piles. Like, it was it was labor-intensive. And I'm doing that during the day, getting off at about 2.30, I think it was, to do training at night. So it was, yeah, there, there were not a lot of breaks. It was not easy on the body. But the ends justified the means for me. You know, it was it, it was a job that I could do early enough in the day. I had insurance. So if I got hurt, yeah, <laughs> I, I was covered. It wasn't going to cost me an arm and a leg. So it, it had its benefits. But yeah, I was working 40 hours a week at that time and doing training. And it took a while before I could actually go fight full-time. It, it took until almost my UFC career started. But um, yeah, man, it, it was not an easy road there. And he was the one, after I, after I beat Paul Bradley, uh, we ended up getting a call and, and asking if I wanted to sign with the UFC. And of course, I got no breaks, man. Zero. My first fight in the UFC uh, was a guy named Brock Larson, who at the time was brought over from the WEC, which the UFC had bought up, right. right? And he would, I think he'd already fought for the title. I think he'd already fought uh, Carlos Condit, if I remember right. It's been so many years. But he was, a t he was like a top welterweight at the time. Mm -hmm. And I knew that they were bringing me in against him to get my ass kicked yet again. <laughs> right. But watching that guy, he was also another Minnesota boy. And I, I, 
there's there's this love hate relationship, or there was anyway between Oregon and Minnesota. Like as far as the wrestling program, like I always hated Minnesota guys. I always wanted to beat their ass. And so it was just another one of those things. Like I, I got to kick this guy's ass. I have to. I can't lose this guy. And and I remember like the, the only thing the guy really had was like wild haymakers and a Kimura. That was like his kind of go to thing. Like he would put it on you if you just stood there in front of him. Like he'd, he'd lay it on you and you'd go to sleep. But if you could move and stay agile and take him down and put him down, all you had to do was stop his Kimura. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. I was like, the most important for, thing for me to do in this fight in the UFC is to win. Just mm-hmm. win. Do whatever you got to do to win. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be exciting. Just fucking win. Got to win that one. <laughs> yeah. And so that was my game plan. I mean, just do whatever you got to do to win. So I, I took away his only weapon, his haymaker, uh, I guess, and his Kimura. And, uh, you know, I got in, got the takedown. It was just me staying on top, dominating. And just killing his Kimura attempts every single time. Because I love Kimuras too. I was like, I know this. Like, you're not going to get me with the submission that I freaking love. I go to it all the time. And so, you know, I ended up winning that fight. And they, they you know, at the end of the year, they had decided that was like one of the biggest upsets of the year. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, my second fight in the UFC, guess who that was? John Fitch, who was oh, the number oh, two. Yeah. He was the only guy under GSP for the longest time. Yeah. And I'm. Largely a nobody. They, I, I didn't have any promotional benefits in the UFC. Like, oh, hey, this is my peers. No, I was the guy that were feeding John Fitch. <laughs> and so, you know, John Fitch is a great, great athlete, and I kind of regret some of the tactics that I did against him. Like, I thought, oh, I'm going to kick this guy. That was a bad idea. Like, I don't know why I thought that was a good idea, especially as a wrestler. Like, feed me your leg. I will right. take you down. Right. And so that was the big mistake that I made in the first round. I kind of gave him that round because he took me down and just rode my back. I mean, he does what John Fish does. He grinds on you. Right. And so he just took, took my back and just was, hit me with pitter-patter. So nothing with any significance, nothing that put me in any kind of danger. It didn't make me bleed or, or cause serious damage. Stuff that just looks pretty to the judges. I mean, it was just control. Yeah, just, it was just control. It wasn't pretty. No, yeah. None of John's fights are really <laughs> pretty. I mean, there's, there's yeah, some. But, yeah, but I mean, he, he controlled the, the round. And then... Uh, there was a little bit back and forth in the in the second, but the third round, I was just like, you know what, <laughs> I'm just gonna go for it. I'm not. I don't have anything to lose. I've got one win in the UFC, and I'm fighting the number two guy in the world. And I remember at some point him hitting me, and I don't remember. I don't remember him hit, actually hitting me. I just kind of remember my head bouncing back, and I was looking. and I'm like, I'm hanging in here with John Fish, number two guy in the world. Like, I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can actually do this fighting stuff. And uh, I just said, screw it, with, like the last 30 seconds, just was unloading shots and ended up clipping him really good. Like it wobbled him and had him kind of on that path to getting knocked out, but the time ran out. But I ended up stealing that round. It was 29-28, which was a close fight for a guy that only had one fight under his belt in the UFC against right. John Fitch. Right. So it was at that point where I knew that I was going to do something with this UFC career of mine. and. Mm-hmm actually, you know, stay in there a while. Even John was like, yeah, that guy's got a bright future ahead of him in his post-fight speech. So it was kind of cool to hear that from yeah, him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that that was your second year. That was my second fight in the UFC. I was fed to the Lions right away. And I was thinking, God, they either like me or they really hate me. I, I don't know which it is. Yeah. Or they, yeah, like maybe just like your, uh, like your coaches that like saw in the beginning, they were just like, oh, this, this dude has it. Like, yeah. He's, I, I don't know, but the way that the UFC politics are, I, I, I think that they just were like, oh, yeah, maybe John will get this win and just give him another stepping stone yeah. or something. And I think that's what they thought with the first guy, too. But huh. You just kept hanging in there. So Just kept hanging in there. I was hard to get rid of. How many fights? <laughs> I remember. So what was your biggest UFC fight? Like, what was the one? It's got to be. 
Man, there's a couple. So probably some other notable fights that I had there was my uh, uh, Josh Koscheck fight. Yeah, the, 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 the wig, the wig is great, right? I, I knew I. Can we find that video? I know we were trying to find it before. We oh, it's on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. It's on YouTube, yeah. yeah. Now, I did a lot of preparation for that. Like, that was probably one of the fights where I had one of the more serious camps I've had in my my entire fight career. Where, um, real quick, where so you you left Team Quest, and then where were you training for this? So, yeah, to back up a little bit, I started at Team Quest. I was there for about a year and a half. And then I went to a place called Braveheart, which was in Gresham. I remember that. And that was headed up by a douchebag named Pat White, which I cannot say enough negative things about. Like, there's no redeeming qualities in that human being at all. Um, I feel like I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone you talk to will say the same damn thing. Um, anyway, the one thing that he did provide that I will give him credit for is that he brought in high-quality coaches. Mm-hmm. And what was cool about that, since his gym was just starting, it was small, and so it was just me and, at the time, Rick Story, who was my main training partner at the time, another legit wrestler from Southern Oregon, Tough guy. Also had a UFC career. Also had a UFC career as well. I mean, him and me were like iron on iron. We were just making yeah. each other better the whole time. And we also got a lot of this one-on-one time with these amazing boxing coaches, kickboxing coaches, jiu-jitsu black belts. I mean, our I, I think our Brazilian top team black belt that we had, uh, his name is Marcelo Burgo. He's now in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. has his own school there. Mm-hmm. Um, and a tactical guy on, on, on the police force. Mm-hmm. Um brought me to a completely new level. Like, I thought I knew some jiu-jitsu back in my Team Quest days. This guy was like, no. <laughs> no. He was, I mean, a Brazilian top team black belt is a legitimate pedigree. I mean, this guy knew his stuff. And what was cool is he also had a wrestling background. Like, he did freestyle wrestling in Brazil. Oh, there you go. And so it was very easy for him to show me as a wrestler the stuff right. in jiu-jitsu that would work and, and play into my style really well. Right. And so, man, he kicked my both of our asses for quite some time before we were finally like, okay, we started shutting some of his stuff down and everything. And then I remember like the first time I ever submitted him, I was like so happy on the inside. You <laughs> got, got him, it, got him. <laughs> but I didn't show. I was like, it's because it's kind of disrespectful. Be right. like, yeah, celebrate because yeah. we didn't want to really beat your ass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it it was really cool, and that and that was a good moment for me. But yeah, I was there at, at, at Braveheart. He changed over to uh, Brave Legion in Vancouver. Okay, so that was the same company. That was the same same guy, same company. Right. He just yeah, there was a an extreme couture up there at the time. They sold out or moved out. Uh, it was the Salmon Creek area. It was oh, like yeah. off 134th or something know, like that. I just thought he was out in Vegas. Oh, he is now. Right. I mean, but he had he had a couple different right. schools all over the place. Yeah. Um, but then after I broke away, I like I couldn't I. <laughs> Talking about that gym could go on forever about, yeah. but ended we'll, up, we'll bring you back for a whole nother. Yeah, episode. you can bring me back for a whole that that's a whole <laughs> separate topic. But we parted ways, not on good terms. Um, and then I went with uh, a guy that I ended up training with uh, in, in the process, named Phil Claude, who had a gym called Sports Lab, and it was kind of a shared space between that and a, and a CrossFit. It wasn't like the best facility in the world, but that's where I had my my cost check camp. Mm-hmm. And I ended up having a mental coach at the time. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, but we we had all this like mental stuff that we would go through. Like we had stuff on my iPod that I'd sit down and listen to, and it was his voice like walking me through like these things, like picture this, picture that, and it, it was it was super cool and very helpful. And we had pictures of Josh Koscheck's ugly face like on all the workout. <laughs> areas in front of the treadmill and like in the gym where we're grappling so it was like 
it wasn't going to be a shock like, oh, I see Josh Koscheck. Like, I've been staring at your ugly mug for 60 days. Yeah, right. You know, or 90 days, whatever the camp was. And uh, it, I just, I felt super prepared for that fight. Mm-hmm. And I went in there and nothing, I mean, I was prepared for his style. I had my game plan. Like, everything fell in line. And I was so pissed because I know I won that fight. You look at all the compy stats, mm-hmm. the, the significant strikes. The, the only thing he beat me at, he had one more takedown than I did. That was it. Mm-hmm. And they gave him the decision. It was a split decision. And even after he lost, yeah. or after, even after he got his hand raised, he whispered to me, he was like, man, you won that fight. I'll give you a rematch if you want. I was like, why would wow. I give you a rematch I, to, to, to prove to one other dipshit judge that I beat you? Right. <laughs> like, I know that I won. Even Dana was talking to Ariel Helani after the fight. He's like, yeah, I had Mike Pierce win in the fight. There were a lot of bad decisions tonight, yeah. which is just unfortunate. I mean, you got to be able to rely on these judges who do this uh, to, to make the right call because these are our livelihoods. I mean, right. We depend on this, especially the way we get paid. I mean, the UFC fighters generally as it goes – you get a certain amount to fight and another amount if you win, right. which is generally double that money or double that value. So if you get 10 grand to fight, it's usually another 10 if you win, right? Or whatever the value is. And so that's a significant amount which of money. Which like getting your face beat in or potentially yeah. getting your face beat in is not that much. No, no, no. I, and again, we could talk all the politics in the UFC, dude. Yeah, They're in a lawsuit. I don't know if you knew that. I know. Oh, yeah. That's another subject. <laughs> yeah. I, I've always felt like uh, MMA fighters never made what they were. Yeah, MMA fighters are probably the only professional sport right now that many of the guys have to work another job That's insane. just yeah. to supplement their professional That's career. That's crazy to me. Yeah. It's so you don't see NBA players working at the fire department <laughs> yeah. or working construction or working or driving an yeah. Uber car or any of these things to supplement their career. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Like guys, I mean, this is, yeah oh, and, and Dan is very... Yeah open to the idea that like your window of opportunity is this big. You got this much time to make the most money you can and compete and then it's gone. And that's true. That, I mean, those are really the, the, the facts of the matter. I mean, even in the NFL, I mean, what's the average career, like three years, maybe something like that or five at the most. Yeah. I mean, it, those guys take a beating, they're big dudes and there's a lot of injuries, knee injuries and everything else, you know? So you have a small window of opportunity to do what you can do and make your money and get out. And so, hopefully you've invested it right to be able to live off of it. Do you feel like that that this stems from the fact that the, the UFC doesn't make the money that these other organizations make, like the NFL and the NBA? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You must be kidding. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I, I'm sure you do. No, they sold for $4 billion so not they, long ago. They make that. a lot of money, and the reason they make a lot of money is because they pay the fighters about 15 to 20% of the revenue, literally. They've proven that in court. Is that what the lawsuit's about? Yeah. Because that, that yeah, the lawsuit, it's, it actually just got certified as a class action lawsuit. So between 2010 and I think it's 2017, which covers most of my years in the UFC, with the exception of one, um, is in that lawsuit, and, and that covers about 1,200 fighters. Currently, it's at $1.6 billion dollars. And if they keep fighting it to the end, it'll triple and be almost five billion dollars if they lose. So they're probably they're going to settle at some right. point. They're going to settle, and that's going to be awesome for a lot of fighters. What happens? They cut you a check? Oh yeah, yeah. they will. They will yeah. cut a check. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, but this is the thing. I mean, every sport has gone through these growing pains. Right. Boxing did the same thing until they got the Ali Act to prevent a lot of the same stuff, which our sports modeled after. The NFL, the NBA, NHL—they all have player associations now. Where the owners used to, you know, 
screw them over and not right. entitle them to the fair share. But those sports now, they understand there's a 50-50 relationship without the platform. Right. They, they have nowhere to play their game sure. or to do their sport. And without the talent, these owners can't make the money with their platform. Right. And so they understand that there's a, a relationship there and that there should be a, a fair divide with the revenue. Right. With the UFC, <laughs> they view themselves as the product and you are indispensable. Right. <laughs> or dispensable, rather. <clears throat> and so they'll just turn and burn yeah, like because there's there's no consequences right now. Yeah, that's just really, that. that's crazy to me that. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I go on and on about that and, and the way that they've bought up other organizations and kept right. who they want, trash the rest of the organization. They they've done that with and give us less of, opportunity to go other places in yeah, the free market. Right, and then the whole decision to you know systematically get rid of sponsors and right. then you only have one sponsor and this is how much you're entitled to because we've decided that. That's insane. And we're supposed to be independent contractors. Right. How many independent contractors are told to do these things and how much they can make? Right. <laughs> it's insane. That's why they're getting I, just, I can't believe they've gotten away with it. For that yeah. And, and the way, I mean, another thing, too, uh, that people can probably relate to is the way that they arbitrarily control the rankings and who gets title shots and right. rent. Yeah. Like in any other sport, it's whoever the top two people are, are going to go. And that's based off their winning. Right. You know, and, and they're you know, them deserving to, to fight for or compete for the championship. And the UFC, they just want to put together the fights and make the most money. Well, I mean, yeah. Or that are the most exciting, which translates to more money. Well, yeah, you see, like, fights that never should happen. It's like, um, these... Like, people, here's a good example. CM Punk dude, fighting. Prime example, yeah. He had no business being in an amateur show, let alone the top promotion on the planet. Or like when Herschel Walker... Yeah. Come on, dude. Yeah. I know, I mean... It, even Kimbo Slice. Right. I mean, he was a YouTube star that, that walked in. He went on to the show. He did okay. Then they put him in the he actual got UFC. first round. I, so. I know. He, he got killed. Yeah, it was it was silly. Yeah. He, yeah. I mean, he was entertaining. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I'm and sorry. I'm trying to remember the other guy was a boxer. Randy Couture fought James him. Tony. James Tony. Yeah. Yeah. That guy was obnoxious. <laughs> I actually destroyed, dude. When, we, when you get into the... When you get off the plane and you get to the hotel, the first thing you do is you check in with the UFC office. Mm. And they're usually set up in the hotel somewhere. And you have to sign, like, I swear it's like 120 posters with your signature over and over and over again because they give one to each fighter and they auction off some and do other things with them. So that, that's kind of the routine, right? And he's sitting there complaining the whole time <laughs> about signing this stuff. I'm like, welcome to the club, pal. Like, yeah. this is what we're forced to do. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. I don't want to sit here and sign a hundred and some odd posters. Right. But, God, he just complained the whole freaking time. And I was so excited for Randy to kick his ass. You, you fought him the same card as him? Yeah, I did. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I remember when that fight happened. I was like, dude, like, and of all people, they're going to throw him in with Randy. Yeah. I mean, Randy was kind of <laughs> towards the... Well, but the, but James Tony was a heavyweight boxing champion at one point. And, and he was older, too, right? Yeah, right, right. Randy was no so, spring chicken. Yeah. He was a former champ at the time. Yeah, but, like, come on, dude. Yeah, I know. I mean, it, it, the guy had no chance. I mean, Randy wasn't going to sit there and trade with the guy. No. I mean, this isn't boxing. So, no. of course, he did a low single where he can't do... Couldn't even him. Dude, it was over. Yeah, it was done. As soon as he got on, his, on the ground, it was boom, 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 done. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just lumped him up, but yeah, I mean the the inter- they make money though. I mean, oh yeah, they yeah. make money absolutely, and people it, so. wanted to see it. They yeah. want to see what would happen yeah. if a world class boxer got in there with an MMA guy, get yeah. his ass beat. Right. <laughs> yeah. In an MMA fight. In an MMA fight. If it was boxing, I mean, take a look at Conor McGregor, uh, Money Mayweather. Absolutely. So what did you think of that? I'm trying to watch. It. I thought it was interesting, but I didn't think Conor had a chance. Not no. not at all. Mayweather's too quick. 
too good at his craft. The, I mean, dra- they, the drama and stuff that they create around it was kind of interesting. Yeah, it and was I, a little WWE-ish. And, and to be honest, I think Mayweather allowed that fight to go as long that's as it what did. My question was, he's yeah. so good at what he does. Yeah. I mean, the guy—that's all he did. That's his thing. He does boxing. Connor was an MMA guy. He's going into into a fight with a guy that's only done boxing. Right. It was clear to me who was right. going to win that well, fight. There sure. wasn't even a chance. Well, what if they were in a cage? Obviously. Would oh yeah, him. McGregor would beat him yeah, easily. Yeah, awful. yeah. It's awful. yeah. and I mean, Mayweather knows that he's not going to do an MMA no. fight with Connor or anyone else. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that, I don't. Yeah. But it creates a lot of money. I mean, people. I mean, there's a lot of people that watch that fight. Yeah. I mean, it just it, it makes me think about the the most recent one with Tyson and uh, uh, Roy Jones Jr. Oh, right. That was it. Was cool watching those guys. Right. It was cool seeing some fifty-year-old guys. At least they're from the same sport. They're from the same sport. <laughs> same it was. It was kind of inspiring to see some fifty or early, early fifty-year-old men getting in there, getting back in shape, and yeah, doing their thing. Yeah. And they, they were going after it. I mean, yeah. I think Mike was in some better shape than, yeah. than Roy. And I liked Roy, man. Looking at his highlight reel, man, that guy could oh, freaking yeah. move. <laughs> he had his left hook is amazing. That, that's like more level to me. I mean, like that's interesting because they're both. Exactly. The same. It wasn't like the freak show of the fight before when you have Nate uh, Robinson getting just. Oh, <laughs> it was funny to watch only because he was like an uh, an athlete, right. an NBA player fighting a YouTube star. I mean, the guy had uh, uh, some wrestling in high school, I guess. Right. Jake Paul, right? right. But uh, no, obviously not a boxer himself. No. He's got some training. I mean, he's right. he's done some. You can see his YouTube videos and stuff. Pretty the guy puts cool. in the time, but. It was just funny watching that guy get knocked out. And now there's a the, the next one that's talking about this is the McGregor thing, right? Yeah, I, I, I was looking at some uh, headlines about that. What's today. that guy's name? Jake Paul. Jake Paul. Yeah, is that the same guy? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's the same it's guy. The, and he wants to fight McGregor in an MMA, MMA fight now. No, they want to do. He wants boxing. to do boxing. Oh, boxing. oh, god. No, no, no. He wants to do boxing, and he he just like apparently offered a fifty million dollar fight. And he's he's claiming that Dana and McGregor didn't want to do it or something um, like that. But I I, 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 saw, I, saw, I don't care. It's it's all drama and hype. So, somebody told me the other day that he, that guy is. Um, they showed on his Instagram that he's following one person on Instagram, and it's Conor McGregor's wife. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I was like, dude, that was probably the most trollish thing I've ever heard in my that's life. That's awesome, but it was pretty funny. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, really right, hilarious. I got a hand to him. That was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you had Koscheck and um, I mean, so Koscheck was a good yeah Koscheck was another notori- uh, fight of, of notori- notoriety um, I also fought Johnny Hendricks who mm-hmm. went on to be the champion beat uh, GSP and that was another split decision fight too mm-hmm. and uh, man that was a that was a good fight he <laughs> it was funny we after the fight was over we ended up just by coincidence, running into each other at the concession stand. We were both getting beer, right, after the fight. And he was all excited because he'd won and everything. He's like, man, he's like, I knew after I hit you in that first round, I hit you as hard as I could, and I wasn't knocking you out. <laughs> I was like, it must be the head, dude. Like, I'm just built a certain way. Like, I got no neck. You're not turning my chin that far, and I'm just not getting knocked out. But I was surprised. Like, the guy, for being a, an All-American and national champion in wrestling – he was easy to take down because I, I took him down in the third round. He was easy to take down, and he didn't really have a lot of game to get back up. I was like, right. "Fuck!" I came with the wrong game plan. Like I was thinking that our wrestling was going to cancel, right. which it largely did because we were both doing the stand-up thing. And he got a little bit better at the exchanges on some of them. And he, 
I, I, I tend to think he probably won that split decision. It was close. My mind wasn't in it as, as, as well as it should have been. But uh, I, I was just very blown away that he was that easy to take down yeah. and in control. I was like, well, do you God. think that some of these other guys, they get they start enjoying other parts of the game too, and they just maybe like... I, I've seen that, especially with wrestlers, where they get kind of too happy to throw hands right. and stuff. They get, they they get better. Get, yeah, they, they get better. Well, they get better, but they, they get a little too overconfident with it. And they're like, oh, I'm going to show that, that you know, Muay Thai guy that I can knock him out. And then they get their bell rung and it's right. over. I'm like, don't forget your base. Yeah, right. <laughs> don't forget your base. And, you know, being able to change your game plan on the fly. Like, if something's not working, go to something else. Totally. You know? Right, right. So, uh, overall, how many UFC fights did you end up having? How many oh. fights did you have in the UFC? And then how many fights did you have professionally total? Man, that's a good question. You have to look that up. I don't know. I, yeah. The ones that are most memorable to me are the ones that I lose. Right. I, oh, those sure. are the ones that stick with me. I get pissed off and think about. But uh, no, I, I couldn't even tell you how many fights I had in the UFC or how many professional really? fights. Yeah, I, I don't care. Well, there's yeah, quite a bit, but I I just don't care. Yeah, you just took them one at a time. <laughs> yeah, I, you can look it up on the internet. I have no idea. We'll have to look that up. I'm kind of curious. Yeah. Um, so when, when was your last fight in the UFC? Uh, that was late 2000. It was just before uh, the turn of the year, 2016. I fought uh, a guy named Ryan LaFleur, and I <laughs> I was kind of in a position where I had to fight. I I'd already had a long layoff from fighting Rusmal Pajaras, which he's the one that hung on to my leg in a heel hook, which if you don't know what a heel hook is, you basically isolate the knee, and you continue turning the ankle, and you can rip. I mean, I ended up doing damage to my ACL and meniscus and uh, not enough to warrant surgery, thankfully. Um, but God, he held on to it longer than any other fight that he'd ever been in. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was cousin Brazil. And I walked out to Hulk Hogan. I'm a real American uh, to try and push those <laughs> buttons. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, it was in front of the Brazilians and I'd always made fun of Brazilians just like chill. I thought it was funny. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he held on to it longer than any submission he'd ever done before. And uh, to the point where, uh, one of the lawyers from the UFC came down and he's like, Hey, I want to talk to you. And I thought it was bizarre. Cause like, I never see that guy after the fights. And so I knew something was going on. And, and he was like, do you think he held that submission too long? I want your professional opinion about if you think he held that too long. And I said, you know, I'm not saying this because I lost or that I'm mad that I got caught because that happens. Mm-hmm. But he's a Brazilian top team black belt. They don't hand those out you know, easily. You have to earn those. Right. So that tells me he knew what the fuck he was doing. You don't get that by accident. Right. You have a particular skill set. You know when to let go. Right. And if you don't, you're a moron. Right. <laughs> you shouldn't have had the belt in the beginning, right. in, in, you know, in the first place. And so he's like, okay, I just wanted to know. I was like, well, why? He's like, well, we're going to, we're going to do something. And I was like, like what? Talk to the... <laughs> The judges are not like, what can you do? We're in Brazil. Is the commission that's here going to even care or do anything? He's like, oh, we're going to make them care. I was like, okay. And then I find out like a day later or two days later that they ended up firing him. And Dana's like, yeah, he's blacklisted. He's never coming back to the UFC really? ever. And they were done. The guy had a long history of that. You know, uh, even his coach at Brazilian top team, uh, Marilo Bustamani, had come out in an interview, you know, shortly after, like within a week or two, saying that, you know, the same thing was happening to guys at his gym. Like, he had oh, to boot yeah. him out because, and this is just a jiu-jitsu gym. Like, he ha- he was ripping on people's uh, ankles and, and, and these heel hooks and hurting guys, really? even even though they were tapping. Huh. 
So was he just hoping you were going to tap in the? In the I mean, the, yeah, he was hoping I was going to tap, obviously. But yeah, I, I think. Yeah. But I have talked to several of his teammates too that were kind of saying that he's got a screw loose, that he's not all there, which may be the case too. I don't know, but it, even if that is the case, it's not an excuse to me. No, I, I don't care. You, you don't hang on to somebody's leg like that in a compromising position and just keep going even after they've given up and said, okay, I'm done. I mean, literally, yeah. the ref was pushing him off of my leg. No joke. Oh, yeah. that's and he still was holding on to it, reefing on it. Yeah, no. Yeah, it was, it was bad. I mean, it's like that in any sport, dude. There's a common courtesy amongst the professional athletes. Yeah, let's fight again another day. Yeah, it's guys, okay. You guys are all you got it. You guys are you all win. a living, dude. You know, you get paid more if you break me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so he... You know, he was supposed to win submission of the night because I think it was like one of the only submissions that night. And he was like, you know, Dana obviously said, you don't get it because you're not fired. Right. <laughs> but yeah, he's like, oh, I'll donate it to Mike for his medical bills. I think he's paying for it anyway. What are you talking about, idiot? But yeah, that was, I, so I had this long, it was like a a, a nine to almost a, a full year recovery for it. Oh, from that? For the minute. Oh. Well, no, not from him. Sorry. Excuse me. So... That was that was afterwards. I'm, I'm kind of getting my timeline messed up here. So he, he did that injury to me, and it didn't warrant surgery at the time. And so I, I went and got an MRI, did some physical therapy, and the doctor's like, yeah, you should be fine. It'll bounce back a couple weeks, whatever. Just go easy on it. And so I was fine, and everything seemed to be all right. Um, and then I was scheduled to fight. Uh, I can't remember who I was scheduled to fight. Oh, no, it was. It was Ryan Flair. I'm sorry. It was Ryan Flair. And I had this jiu-jitsu coach at the time uh, who got, I got a little too excited. I don't know what his deal was. I mean, anyone who's a, a coach should know better that if you jump to a heel hook, since it's so dangerous and compromising, you don't reef on it. You just It's kind of one of those, what we call a catch and release type submission. You catch it, okay, you let it go, it's, it's done. We, I know you, you would have got it. You're done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's over. And we have like 30 minutes left, or 30 seconds left, excuse me, in this uh, round. And he grabs it and just turns. And my knee goes pop, pop. And I was like, oh, my God. And I'm like two weeks out from my fight at this point. I'm like, what are you thinking? What are you doing? And he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm just like, get away from me. I don't want to hit you right now. (laughs) But, yeah, so I ended up, you know, I could tell immediately that there was something wrong with my knee. This is not 100%. It's not like it was anymore. And so when I ended up fighting Ryan, Ryan Flair, I knew that I already had a torn meniscus or ACL or whatever it was. I just knew that my knee was not right. right. But it was either fight and make some money that I hadn't had in right. quite some time or say, hey, sorry, UFC, I'm still injured and then risk yeah, getting fired. Because when, when you're injured, you're not getting... No, you're not. There's, there's no... There's, there's no, no workman's comp. I don't get subsidized with any yeah. kind of stipend from the UFC. Right. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. This, yeah. Sponsors aren't getting, you know. You should. But yeah, yeah, yeah I, I know, but right, so. Especially if you get hurt while in the fight. Right, so I <laughs> I, I basically forced to fight injured, which may, I mean, there's a long history of people having to do that. I mean, Tito Ortiz has uh, attested to that. Um, so anyway, I fight with uh, an injured knee, not knowing exactly what's wrong with it. And I remember, like, the first kick, I threw a left kick on Ryan, and he didn't even check it. It wasn't even like he had checked the kick. It landed right on the meat on the thigh, and uh, I remember it feeling like somebody had just taken a swing at my knee with a baseball bat, and it hurt so bad. Like I could feel it just like rattling on the inside. And as I was bringing my leg back, I was like, "God, I really hope that I, that lands and I can stay on my feet." And I was like, I, I, I remember bringing my leg back and standing. I was like, 
okay, I'm still on my feet. And I was like throwing some punches to shit, like kind of show him like, oh, I'm not injured. This doesn't hurt yeah. like hell right now. <laughs> so he kind of backed off a little bit, but I was just like, okay, I, I can't throw any more leg kicks. I, I can't yeah, do that anymore. Different. Yeah. Like that's not the point. Yeah, it, it sucked, but he ended up winning a decision. I came close to putting him away in the third, but didn't, and that was kind of the end of my my UFC career because that was that had now marked the second loss in a row between Paul Harris and him. And the unwritten rule in the UFC, no matter who you are, I mean, especially if you're an American, you get two losses in a row, they send you out down the room packing. Right. So yeah, they're they're that super cutthroat. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're a foreigner, like say someone from Australia, the UK, or any of these other places where the UFC likes to travel, mm-hmm. they get, they cut you a little more slack because when they go there, they can advertise and say, "Oh, hey, your local guys right. riding on our show." Right. And so, I, there's been so many times where I've seen guys that have lost numerous times in a row. Why do you think it is so cutthroat, like like that? Like, because they have no so they have no consequences. Like they have no repercussions to uh, you know, or, or no consequences to face for doing the things that they do. How 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 long are your contracts for? Um, again, that all depends. Uh, a lot of the times they do uh, or have done four fight contracts where you get a certain amount. And <laughs> this is how it's generally structured, or at least in my experience. You get, like I said, a certain amount. To, let, let's just start, like, let's say with base pay or what they consider base pay now, which I think is 10 grand to show up and fight, another 10 if you win. Mm-hmm. Like if you're fresh into the UFC, that's, that's what they're paying now, or last I heard. It only bumps up to 12 and 12 if you win your fight. So if you lose your first fight in the UFC, you're still at 10 and 10 for the next fight. Right. That's how it works. And the UFC can cut you whenever they want for whatever reason they oh, want. Oh, that's in the even if, yeah, even if you win your first fight and they don't like you, I'm oh, sorry. We're releasing you from so your contract. Four fight contract or whatever. The four-fight contract, yeah. And here's what happens. Let's say you win, you win one, or even if you win all three, or win one, lose one, win one. And they, and they decide, man, we want to keep this guy around. They're going to extend it and say, okay, we want you to sign another four-fight contract. <clears throat> and that's how it's generally worked. I mean, a lot of guys will fight three fights. and so then you're not guaranteed another. four fights. No, you're not guaranteed nothing. They can, yeah. they can, yeah. So that's where it comes in where <clears throat> you want to be exciting in your fight. Oh, they want you to be exciting. Absolutely. There's pressure. Wrestle. Yeah. You got to. Yeah, there's, there's institutionalized right. <laughs> reasons that you want to be exciting. Otherwise, you can get cut. And sent down the road packing. Yeah, it's, like I said, the politics and the UFC have always been there. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the mainstream doesn't see that, and that's by design as well. Right. I it's, saw you fought um, Dolce. He's from around here. <laughs> it was like five seconds. Like, you know, yeah, you know what's fun about that one. <laughs> I like Mike. I don't have a problem with him. We did hate each other at one point, and ironically, he was actually the first. For my very first fight in the FCFF when I was 26, he was the guy in my corner. Oh. Oddly enough. So anyway, Mike was known as like a knockout guy for a long time. That was his thing. He was knocking people out. Had a bunch of records and stuff for fast knockouts, most knockouts, things like that. And somehow we got, (coughs) excuse me, somehow we got into an argument about a, a coach and their credentials as a wrestler at Team Quest. Because he, he said something about them being a national champ or something like that. And there's a database of that where you yeah. can look up national champs. I was like, well, he wasn't a Division One national champ. Like, and, I, and I wasn't even the first one to say that. There was somebody else who chimed in. He said it first. And I was like, yeah, that's true. And here's where you can look it up. And I left the link. And then it started this whole fiasco online, <clears throat> this online beef. And I, it got to the point where I was, he was fighting for the uh, IFL at that point where you know, Team Quest had their you know, international fight league team. 
and I said, dude, I cannot wait till you're done fighting in the IFL, like, and we can actually actually do this. I said, I'm not going to try and knock you out. I'm not going to try and submit you. I literally want to beat the shit out of you for 15 <laughs> minutes so everyone knows you fucking suck. <laughs> That's kind of how I left it. And then the irony of it was is, you know, we get in this ring, and it's a, it's a boxing ring, right, at the Rose Garden at the time. It's Moda now. Um, and I was raising my hand like, hey, you want to touch gloves in the center like most guys do. And he was just sitting there like this pissed off look, <laughs> shaking his head like, no, we're going to get right to it. I was like, okay. And so we go out there, and I'd watched so much film on this guy. Like, I was watching his habits, and every time, he was a southpaw, so he leads with his right leg. And every single fight, without exception, that I that I found, he would throw like two or three jabs just from where he was at. And it was at a, a distance where the jab was ineffective. It wasn't trying to hit you. He was just throwing it out there. It was a bad habit. There was no intent on it. No purpose. And so I was thinking, okay, we're just going to kind of, and I drilled this for weeks. Like, as soon as he does it, that's my cue to come in with a hard right to a takedown to put him on his back because his only dangerous spot was on his feet. He was a fish out of water on the ground. And so it just so happened that, at, like, as I saw him throwing that first jab, it was like overhand right, boom, <laughs> right on the chin. And I didn't even see it land. Like, I was so, you know, you're, hell you're bent on taking him down. <laughs> like, I'm just throwing this as a cover for my takedown. And it just landed beautifully on his chin. And as I was taking him down, and I was, I was driving this takedown, as I was taking him down, I remember in that moment thinking, something feels weird about this takedown. Like, I've taken down people thousands of times. <laughs> this one is different. This guy is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this one's different. And you got to understand, before this fight happened, people were talking about this, and people were talking to uh, the ref and saying, hey, got to watch this one this one's going to be exciting and he's like okay and so he you know every time you fight they have instructions before the fight that they, they tell you in the locker room what they expect what they're looking for etc and with the ring instead of the cage this is a ring one of the rules was any part of the body that's on the outside of the ropes is off limits you can't strike it anything that's on the inside of the ropes you can strike it's fair game and so in that moment as i'm taking him down and you know realizing that this is different I take him down and pop up as, as I'm ready to punch, and I see that he's unconscious. <laughs> Eyes closed, his head is on the other side of the ropes, and I think to myself in that second, I've already won the fight. Okay. <laughs> I, I just start unloading on his face. I get like two, three punches in anyway, and the ref pulls me off, and I'm like, that was my first knockout in my career. I was so excited. <laughs> and it just was so perfect because it was Mike Dolce, because he was the knockout guy who was trying to knock me out and I broke every it was literally the five seconds like you can watch it on YouTube and they have like a running clock <laughs> we talked about they that. have a running clock and you can see it's five seconds it was just amazing yeah that was, that was awesome yeah <clears throat> that, how so that was that was um, that was also a professional fight that yeah. was like earlier earlier on in my professional career for the UFC yeah right yeah um, so you finished up in 2016 with the UFC 2015 have you fought no, I have not fought since then. Are you going to fight in any other organization? I don't know, man. I, I, I had the desire to. I just don't know if I have the time Yeah. with kids and work and all the stuff that what, involves. What are you doing for work? I'm an electrician. I'm, I'm just about. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I've been working for a, a buddy of mine, his company on the non-union side of things, uh, going through the program there. I'm just, I mean, this is my last year of the apprenticeship program. I'll nice. journey out after I take the test. Nice. Um, but yeah, everything's been going well and. Learning the trade. Like working on the trades. Yeah, I mean, I, I always told myself. Well, you were, so you were in the carpenters. Union. I was in the carpenters union first, and I remember telling myself I, I was so excited to leave that shit because when you're there in the union, you're like, 
those guys are like, this is your career, you chose to do this, blah, I was like, dude, this is an end to me for me, like, I cannot do this shit for the rest of my life, no way, because I was looking at some of these guys that have done that, Yeah, they were broken, beaten down people, yeah. they could barely walk, and I was thinking, like, God, you know, there's a certain quality of life I want to have, right. when I reach a certain age, like, I want to be able to do crazy shit with my kids yeah. when, when I'm older, I don't want to be this broken down human being that can't enjoy life and do the things that I love. And so I told myself, like, if I ever have to get back on the trays, it's not going to be this. Yeah. Like, the elect- I mean, in, in the, you know, electrical side of things, there's longevity. You're not doing heavy lifting with steel right. studs and sheetrock and right. breathing in a bunch of nasty shit. That, right. Who knows if that causes cancer, right? So right. Um, it just seemed like the smarter choice, and it wasn't just labor-intensive. It was, it was a little bit more of a thinking man's game, mm-hmm. you know? So we well, have to actually pass the test. You have to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to know some math, right? Yeah. I'm a I'm an elevator constructor. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I I am actually I am a carpenter and I see it every day with these guys. My goal because I got kind of a late start because I was 31 when I started. Okay. Or 32. I was 32 when I got started in like in my apprenticeship program and I was like, dude, I was like, this is hard work. Like my goal is to get into that fucking work trailer as fast <laughs> as I can. And um, it's it's worked out really good for me because I've um, kind of worked up into a leadership role, so I don't have to do the crazy yeah hard stuff out of the elements i try, I try to, to do sometimes i have to but I, I mean i'm kind of at a point now where i'm not doing real stupid shit anymore mm-hmm. so um but that was definitely my goal is because I, I immediately saw some of those guys and i was like yeah no i'm, I'm good on that like i don't want to be 60 years old banging nails dude I, yeah I, i'm yeah i got to the service department I yeah the construction department enough of that yeah exactly <laughs> yeah see and that's that's just one of the, the sad things about mma where it's at right now uh is that a lot of these guys need to do something. They need to have an exit strategy. They need to have a plan on what they're going to do afterwards. Like, I mean, a guy that I'm involved with right now, Ed Herman, who I've been coaching for. Yeah. His last three fights. So I've been coaching him. kind of working with him. And I, you know, I just, I I got a call randomly one day that he was, he was fighting a guy who was a division one, all American and a good wrestler. And I was kind of the guy that he wanted to bring in and, and help prepare for this fight. Watched film on him, did all the critiquing that I needed to do. I was like, okay, I got a strategy for this guy. We'll shut him down and and put him out of his out of his element, you know, take away his only weapon. And uh, Ed did that. Ed shut this guy down with exactly what we trained, and he freaking ended up knocking the guy out with a knee because the guy didn't know what to do. He's like, Ed, Ed had the better striking, and he's like, I can't take this guy down. It was demoralizing because he couldn't do what he you know it was his bread and butter. Right. So and he so in, he was in the UFC for a while. Is he? It's still in the UFC. Oh, he's still, yeah, he's been. In the, he's one of the longest, yeah, the yeah, longest the guy's guys been. in the UFC. And what's what's annoying? He, he loves <laughs> he loves mentioning this fact. He's been in the UFC for so long and still isn't a part of the UFC game. Has not been even downloadable content. It's obnoxious. And I, I hope the guy gets that. You know, I hope I hope before he's done fighting, uh, he what? gets on the UFC game. Even oh, if right. that's downloadable content. I mean, sometimes oh, they have a certain amount of fighters, right. and then as you know, the game gets released, they you know add more fighters you can download and play as. Um, but anyway, Ed Ed's forty years old now too. He's forty. Yeah, he's forty, he's and 40. he's he's looking to do other things. He's been looking to get into the fire department post fight. But I'm just, all I'm saying is that where MMA is at right now, it's sad that these guys aren't making the money that they should be making compared to other sports. And being able to live off of what well, yeah, dude, as long as they've made that guy's had, there's no, there's he has no business doing anything after he's done. He exactly, I mean that guy has invested a chunk of his time, right. which is longer than most people do in any professional sport. Right, and he's still looking to do something yeah, post fight, post fight career. 
that shouldn't even be a, a thing. Yeah, I, and that's and that's the thing that's sad. And it, it makes me think about another story that somebody had told me. This is when uh, Kobe Bryant was actually still alive. Kobe Bryant was a special guest at one of the <laughs> UFC summits. The UFC summit is something they do or used to do every year with like a lot of the new fighters. They would come in and kind of say, "Welcome to the UFC. This is kind of what we expect." Um, you know, have like a code of conduct. They talk about PEDs, mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. The USADA and kind of like the responsibilities you have with that. And Kobe was the special guest that year, and and uh, he was talking about some of the things that that make sense that we were just talking about right now about investing in your future because you only have a short window of time mm-hmm. as a professional athlete to do these things, and then after you're done, it would be nice to have invested that money wisely enough to live on, you know. Right. And so. He's given this speech, and then I can't remember who it was that asked, like, so if you're only making this much of money, how do you invest in that yeah. or invest with that after paying taxes and paying all these things you yeah. have to pay on it? <laughs> it kind of left him speechless. Like, how do you do that with, like, 10 grand to show up and fight another 10 if you win? Like, if you only get 10 grand, you lose your first fight? Yeah. Even if you win, you have twenty grand. You have to pay taxes on that. And pay your pay your coaching staff. And how much was your camp? And yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, yeah. that yeah. money goes quickly. People oh, don't realize yeah. it. It goes so quick. Oh yeah, like I mean, what do you do with twenty grand? A, you're getting a speech on investments from a guy who makes multiple. Well, I, I, I know, I know. But I mean, in the NBA, even base I, I pays like half he, a million. Right, right. I, mean, I get what he's saying. I mean, he's yeah. But like, dude, you're like, I mean, some of these UFC fighters are making less than. Oh yeah, I make even I, I would argue that even the top guys right now are getting a fraction of what they should be getting. Oh, for sure. Yeah. If it was a free market, the way that it should be, with the amount of money that those with the amount of money. I mean, like I said, the UFC. I mean, I can't remember which year it was, but they they have basically documented that the UFC paid the fighters about sixteen percent of the revenue. I can't remember which year that was, but it's always been a, a range between fifteen and twenty percent, depending on the year. When you see what the boxers make. Oh, Mayweather. absolutely, isn't it? Well, I mean, just just taking a look at what Conor McGregor did with the yeah, Floyd Mayweather. Totally. It was a main event fight, so he should be entitled to a lot of money. But even Conor was saying, I've tripled my net worth in yeah. one fight compared to a whole career in the UFC. Right. Like, how many fights did you have in the UFC and you're tripling that in one fight in, in boxing? It's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, that's not that's not right. Yeah. But, um, so now you're, you're kind of doing the trades thing and you're coaching. How, so... Are you still coaching him then? Yeah, so uh, Ed's last fight, um, we ended up winning that fight. It was it was in Las Vegas. It was controversial because, the, uh, real honestly, the ref fucked up. Mm-hmm. So Ed wasn't getting the better of the stand-up. It was a little back and forth for a while, but the guy started hitting Ed with some shots and had him backed up against the cage, threw a knee, and it hit him right in the liver. But his shin also hit him in the groin, just albeit oh, yeah, I saw that briefly and not with a lot of impact, but Ed fell. Mm-hmm. And the ref thought it was a knee to the groin. Mm-hmm. And so Ed got an opportunity to recover for five minutes. Mm-hmm. He took his sweet time as he should. Yeah. And yeah. so... From getting hit in the liver. For get, yeah, from getting hit in the liver. Because I'm fu- if you've ever been hit in the liver, it yeah. sucks. I've been hit in the liver once by a boxer. I never want that to happen again. It yeah. sucks so bad. You feel like you're dying. Yeah. But anyway... Ed takes his time. He recovers. He gets back up. Round ends. Comes back in in the third and final round. And ends up submitting the guy. With just like seconds left in the round. Submits him. Wins the fight. (laughs) Dana is fuming pissed. Because he knows that the guy beat Ed. (laughs) And he's just mad at that referee. 
So anyway, Ed wins the fight, gets his win bonus, everything's great, and you know, now he's I saw not long ago he's on vacation and stuff, and he, he wants to wait until the first of the year to start looking at a new fight. So I'm sure as soon as the first of the year comes around, we'll be doing another camp for someone sometime. Very cool. But, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun to still be involved with guys at the top yeah. echelon of the sport. Do you, do you coach any, like, wrestling or anything? I have not been coaching any wrestling. I've had so many – well, the, one of the owners at American Top Team Portland, which is the gym that Ed trains out of. And right. Really, most of the top fighters anymore train out of uh, has asked me on a couple different occasions if I do like a wrestling class, right. a wrestling for MMA type class. Right. Which I mean, it plays right into. I mean, that was kind of my thing. You know, yeah. there's certain skills that I know, and that's that. I mean, that fits my perfect niche right there. And um, I mean, for like um, high school wrestling. Like no, I haven't done that. You know what I used to? What I used to really enjoy doing, which because of COVID, things have kind of changed is I always, always go back to Barlow High School when I could during the winter break mm-hmm. and go in with those guys. Because it was, it was kind of a tradition, man. Like, alumni from years past would right. come back over Christmas break and, and just beat up on the kids or show them something, you know? <laughs> right. yeah. And so it was always fun because... We always had that aggression in high school. Too. Yeah. Like we'd always have our... That's, that's cool. Especially like guys the guys that kids, are, like, I think it's good for the kids, right? Yeah. And with at Barlow, we have... There's a, a couple banners actually, and like it lists all the state champions with the names and the years that they were state champions. And of course, the coaches are like, "That's Mike Pierce right there." <laughs> you see the two-time <laughs> state champ and stuff. And so these guys are like, "Oh, cool, he's a state champion." Like, oh, and he fought in the UFC too. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's really cool. Yeah. But it, it's fun going back there and and showing the kids stuff and and kind of sharing with them some of the stuff that I used to have some success and. Right. Hopefully it translates and then they pick up on some of that. But man, the program, it, it, sad to say, I this the, not this past year, but the year before, I went back to a home meet there and there was quite a bit of alumni that showed up and God, Barlow got their ass beat so bad. Dude, Barlow was so dominant Dude. in wrestling when yeah. I was in high school. Well, I, my year was the last year that they won the district title. I, it was 21 times. It was since the beginning of the district right. that we'd won districts we, every we single won year. year after that. Yeah, Gresham won it the year after yeah. that. Exactly. And it, it was so sad to see the, the the program take like such a severe nosedive yeah, dude, after that. They had like um, Paul Brookings too. Mm-hmm. He was another financial guy. Beast, dude. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. he was actually a guy that I wrestled my eighth grade year. We were both like and yeah. I ended up beating him. He was a tough motherfucker. He was tough, yeah. yeah. I mean you guys you guys were pretty stacked up. Yeah, I know. Paul it, Paul, to be fair, Paul was wrestling up weight. He wasn't my weight, but I was a tough kid from Orient. He was a tough kid from uh uh Jordan Russell. Yeah. And so we were inevitably going to be mashed up together. But, yeah, I mean, there were the, the saving grace for Barlow is that they always had a handful of tough club kids, whether they be from USA, Cobra, or Peninsula. Those were the two badass clubs at the time. Who was the head coach when, when you were at Barlow? Uh, Bruce Robnett. Robnett. Yeah. That's right. Robnett was the coach. But, I mean, he wasn't even the best coach. I mean, I Bruce was good, but there was we, our assistants that we had, I would – easily say we're far more knowledgeable and better coaches. Um, we had, uh, oh God, I'm forgetting the names right now. <laughs> They're going to hate me. Roger Sales was one of them. He was a, he, he got fourth in the D1s from Cal Poly back in his day. Legit wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would come in and just beat up on us. Too. I mean, he was, he's a rough and tough dude. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. He, he's a great guy. And then we had uh, Gary Head was the other guy, an older oh, guy. That's right. Gary Head, 
back when Mountain Community College had a program, he was their head wrestling coach, and he really knew his stuff. He was a good wrestling mm-hmm. coach. And so those two guys, Rod Ned and the handful of club guys that we always had, made the rest of the team, the seasonal guys, better. Right. And so, I mean, the club guys were always dominant. We always had a handful of those, right? And the other guys that were just seasonal, they were better than your average seasonal wrestler because of it. Yeah, like when I was at Gresham, we had nobody doing club wrestling. Yeah. Like none of us were doing that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was that was always the big deal. Like I, was, I mentioned earlier, that was always the big difference. Like we had a handful of guys that were like really good to us. And then mm-hmm. it was like, man, like that's our best guy. And then we'd go to Barlow and wrestle a guy like you or Paul and just get fucking <laughs> yeah. smoked. And we're like, dude, what? Like, and they're Did like, yo, there's there, this, this wrestling thing is much bigger than what goes on in our map. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, it, was, it always gave me great joy because since I came from Barlow, there was always that rivalry with Gresham, right? right. And so Gresham would usually kick our ass in football. And I was like, Payback's coming, Gresham. Yeah. <laughs> With wrestling season rolls around, it's who, who coming. Who did you wrestle from Gresham? Uh, you Josh you Haskins. Does that name ring a bell? He's older than me. Hazen? Or jo- yeah, Josh Hazen. Yeah, he was my next-door jo- neighbor. Yeah, I know, Josh Hazen. So, yeah, he was a really good football player. He was a good football player. Right. He was a big kid. And he was an athlete. Like He, he was, was an athlete, but, yeah. dude, I beat his oh, ass. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> That's so funny that I I, I grew up idolizing that kid because he was always yeah. No, he, he's a great guy. Yeah, super. He's a firefighter now, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. that's cool. And then because you wrestled one seventy one, right? Yeah, my junior and senior year. And I'm trying to think because he was a senior when you were a junior, right? Yeah, right. And then when you were a senior, would you wrestle one of the Kruger brothers? Probably. Oh, I don't remember yeah. at that point. You probably wrestled one of the Kruger brothers, but they, and they were good wrestlers. But when they would, yeah. No, my, my senior year, there was a guy from Reynolds, actually, who I ended up despising. Um, and I can't remember his name for the life of me, but I, you know, my thing, in, in at least in high school and, and to college to some degree when I was competing, the thing that I enjoyed doing more than anything was mentally and physically breaking people down. And how I did that was by taking them down and letting them back up and right. taking them down and letting tech, them back up. And of course, we're not just, once I take you down, like, oh, I let you get a free ride back up. No, I was grinding on you, forcing you to carry my weight to get back up, just draining you physically. And so after you do that a few times, these people are just like, dude, I am a fish out of water. I cannot do anything. I am over this. And they just break. And so I didn't even try to pin people most times unless it was, you know, the the opportunity presented itself. I was just like, I'm going to tech fall you, which is a 15-point spread. You get a 15-point spread on you, that's not luck. You kick someone's ass. I mean, you can luckily get a head and arm on somebody and pin them. Right. And then, you know, if you're like, oh, well, if you want to go to head and arm. Dominated. Yeah, no, you, yeah, there's no question. Yeah. It doesn't, there's no question in anyone's mind. Those were always funny to watch. And so, oh, that's bad. this kid from Reynolds, like, I beat his ass. Like, it's, it's bad. And then his coach ends up complaining. Like, he beat him too bad. He shouldn't have beat him like that. It was unsportsmanlike. And was that, was that <laughs> was Russo? It, Russo? it was Russo. Yes, yeah. it was. He came in my junior year. Yeah, because you coached Newberg before, right? Yeah, he had yeah. like a pretty big reputation for coaching and wrestling. I thought. Yeah, my, well, Tony Russo did. Neil Russo was his, his son. His, oh, yeah. okay. He was his son or his nephew? I can't remember which it was. One of the two. Yeah, They're related. Yeah, <laughs> our, our program was crap, and he came in and it was one eighty. He kicked our asses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was. Did you did you have any wrestler? I, I mean, I can just think of some guys that were like pretty tough, but like. For you personally, that you wrestled in high school, like at um, at the district level, was there anybody nearby that like even challenged you? No, no, no. no. Even as what about even at state, like in your junior and senior year? My junior year, the guy that I had in the finals, 
He was six foot one. I was always a short guy. <laughs> six foot one. And I already almost tech followed him earlier in the year. So I, I think I, I, I don't remember what the, the spread was. literally just like walked through. Yeah, but, <laughs> but my senior year, the guy that I ended up wrestling, uh, his last name is Jorgensen. I can't remember. He, he was, where was he from? LeGrand. I oh, can't they always had good wrestling. In Ryan there. Jorgensen, yeah. He, they've always had good wrestling. Yeah, Ryan Jorgensen was his name. Um, and I ended up beating him by a smaller margin, but he literally just ran the whole time. And he even apologized after the match. He was all like, dude, I should give you a better match than that. Because I was chasing the guy the whole freaking time. Like, he knew that I was going to take him down. I love take him down. Yeah. <laughs> and he just didn't want any, he just didn't want to participate in, in, the, in the match, really. So it was disappointing. I still won. But my junior year, I was so excited because... I had trained so hard that the transition I had between my sophomore and junior year changed dramatically. I, I'd always, do you know who J Dave Jansen is? Mm -hmm. Oh, Dave, Dave was another USA kid who we had a, a rivalry with just on, you know, on the team. And because we came from rival clubs and oh, he, he went to Barlow, he went to Barlow as well. Yeah. Was he, um, he was a state champion too. Was he like a 152 or 160? He was one, it was 151 at the time. Oh, he won right. state at 151. I kind of, I think I might kind of remember. Yeah, he, him and I, we were always battling for the varsity position. <laughs> and we were making each other get better, honestly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, we, we didn't like each other and get along too well for a long time. And, you know, now we're good friends, we're teammates, and everything's great. But at that time, we were, we were buddy-buddy. And, and uh, you know, he, he ended up making me better. At that point, my sophomore year, we wrestled at the state final. And he ended up beating me and gave me this cauliflower ear here. Um but that transition, I, I knew after that match, like, junior year, it's going to be different. It's going to be on. And I was so excited to go out there and just beat the piss out of people. <laughs> and I wasn't taking no for an answer, man. I just went out there and just... I was Did like, you ever I'm, get bored? Because I wasn't even as good as you, and I would get bored sometimes. Like, No, not for me. It, it wasn't boring. I... Boring was never anything. That, <laughs> he gets a break cable down. Yeah, I, got, I, I was too excited just beating people up and, and, and breaking them down. There, the only thing I know it sounds sadistic. Yeah. But, I would be bored until Oscar came. No, oh, okay, I'm awake now. I'm yeah, get yeah. Ass kick, but I, that's what I liked. Like, yeah. Finally, a rematch. Yeah, no, it, it, it was challenging, and the, the 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 tournaments that presented challenges, like the regional tournament or the national tournament, is where it got really exciting for me and. And I kind of had to get over some mental hurdles with that because I, I I qualified for the national tournament all four years through high school. They had different age groups. There's the cadets and then the juniors, and it depends on where your birthday falls. But usually it's like freshman, sophomore, and the junior, seniors, right? Um, and I remember, like, my, my again, like I said, so much happened between my sophomore and junior year. And my sophomore year, I finally, like, after I got out of the national tournament, because you got to understand, this is like a big, giant dome uh, with mats all across yeah. the entire arena and people from all over the country just filling the arena. And, like, all the eyes are down there on the mat watching you. You feel like there's all this pressure. you got, like, 100-man brackets. And it just seems like it's an overwhelming uh, I mean, overwhelming challenge to, to even place, let alone win. Yeah, that's a lot of matches. That's yeah. a lot of matches. That's like, a lot of people. And then it's playing out. But I, I, I finally just told myself, like, somebody's got to win this fucking thing. <laughs> Why not me? Like, why, why can't it be me? Why can't it be me? And I, I, I finally just got it in my head. I was like, I don't care where they're from. I don't care who they are. I don't care how many people are in my bracket or what they're ranked, what they're seated. doesn't matter. I don't care. And it was finally, when I, I got that in my mind, I stopped worrying about all the extracurricular, you know, peripheral things. It's like, just going in here. It's just me and this guy. That's it. 
Just one person at a time. One person at a time. Just just kick their down. ass. Yep. Just, just keep on moving on. on. Yep. And I mean, honestly, it, most of this stuff is mental. I mean, a lot of the physical stuff, sure. I mean, everybody does all the physical stuff. But it's the mental stuff. If you can't get past that, you're going to... You gonna, can feel them break yeah. in your hands. You can... But, I but you understand, you can be your own worst enemy. You can be your own worst enemy. You can fail before you even start, just yeah. because of your mindset. All right. And so it took me to finally get over my own mental hurdles uh, of thinking that this is impossible, that there's too many people, like, I can't do this. I just said, no, I can do this. <laughs> it was between my sophomore and junior year, and then it was just, you know, the sky's the limit for me, and I, I went out there and just said, fuck it. <laughs> Damn, dude, we we've covered a lot. Yeah. yeah, we probably should wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, we will definitely have to have you come back because like there's like a million other things. <laughs> oh, dude, trust me. Yeah. I feel like I could we could let this episode go on forever, but we'll have to break this one up and do a part two sometime. Yeah. Um, anything else that you want to ask him? Before? Come to our gym sometime. Yeah. Yeah. yeah whenever we yeah. can finally. Oh yeah. Get uh, it open yeah. Again. <laughs> yeah. It, it's been a weird. Pick year, up his brain. He'll bring you in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for joining us on O'Malley's Gym Podcast, episode number six. Um, Stay tuned. Join us next week. Peace out. Later.